On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We had a call out that there appeared to be some narcotics missing from property division. Our property evidence uh, system was based on a system of trust. Uh, there had never been a problem before. The officers that were involved in the case, uh, one of whom was uh, off Detective Frank Liga. Uh, Frank Liga was the detective that was involved in the shooting of uh, Officer Kevin Gaines. There was supposition that Perez purposely took this narcotic to embarrass or uh, have uh, Liga go through a, a criminal investigation himself uh, and potentially end up in jail. The questions surrounding Kevin Gaines remain to this day. How involved was he with Mac and Perez? What was the actual relationship he had with Suge Knight? What was in Gaines's personnel file? And also, that day in the Valley of Hollywood, was it a coincidence or did Gaines recognize Liga and target him? It's hard so many years later to verify anything until other people come forward, or more importantly, show proof or documentation. In breaking out Frank Liga's complete story, one thing I do understand better is the politics that went on inside the distinguished halls of power at Parker Center in downtown Los Angeles. After the shooting boards, which you say take a year, you go back on the job at, when it first happened, your assumption was, well, wow, this, Kevin Gaines, he looks like a gang member. Then you find out he's a cop. I'm assuming someone who is an investigator would want to know everything about who this guy was that approached you on that day. What did you start to learn? Did you ask around? Did you talk to people about who Kevin Gaines was and 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 what or did you not care oh no i cared cared like you wouldn't believe but i was very fortunate i was in contact with russ Poole. russ kept me appraised every step of the way i talked to russ almost daily and um he filled me in and all everything he learned about games russ filled me in told me about the credit cards told me about the 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 reports he had in his locker that were unfinished that he didn't turn in uh told me about his uh his financial stuff all the money he was spending where you saw that i said she was financial uh salary for the three years or four years and he was living pretty good pretty pretty good for somebody who made only six fifty thousand dollars on at a single year but russ filled me in on pretty much everything well it's kind of interesting right because at, at the same time that this is going on and your story is unfolding, 
the city is also and parks and garcetti and all of these people are now starting to deal with the fallout of the rampart scandal right and when for for you at that time did you pay attention to the rampart scandal did you think it had an effect on what happened in in your case because seemingly you know mac perez i don't know if Gaines was a part of rampart but he actually knew those guys someone like Gaines was not a part of rampart because he was already dead Gaines was killed prior in, in March of 97. Rampart didn't break out until February or March of 98. Uh, in fact, in February of 98, when I was cleared from the shooting board, officially cleared from the shooting board, Parks came out and cleared me. Two weeks later, uh, two pounds of cocaine I booked in 1995 disappeared. And I was under surveillance again. I was, I was, uh, I was out of control. I was now labeled a theft, a thief, a narcotic distributor thief. I sold two, two pounds of cocaine from SID and they were all over me. I had SID or I had the, the surveillance team, internal affairs surveillance team following me all over the friggin' place. So back um, up Frank I, and tell that story from the beginning because I think it, it is an important part of it. So tell that piece of it and and when do you find out what exactly is going on? Like I said, Parks came out on, on Channel 4 and basically said that, the, that there was nothing anybody could do. I acted in accordance with all policies and guidelines throughout the whole incident, and I was cleared from shooting. And, uh, in fact, uh, the DA's office reject, finally rejected the case. After the third shooting board, the DA's office rejected the case. Um, I'm thinking, great, it's over with. But I'm still being attacked and threatened every day by black cops all over the city. About two weeks later, I get a call from SID out of the blue telling me to return this cocaine. I said, what are you talking about? I said, what are you talking about? And they give me the DR number. So I look at the, in the, the arrest book and look up the DR number for this case. And it turns out that it was a 95 case that uh, I did with my current partner, and it was his first day in narcotics. My couple of partner, my best friend, James Kaiser. Um, this was Jimmy's very first day in, in narcotics. He was on loan to FES, and I was a training officer. And I did a phone call. I got on a, I got on the, a phone book and went through the phone books until I found somebody, and I'm calling up random numbers, and I talked this guy and they delivered me a eight ball of cocaine to the jack-in-the-box in Hollywood on uh, Sunset in Cahuenga. So we set up over there, and sure enough, the guy showed up, and I bought a eight ball from cocaine from this guy, and we took him down, arrested him. And uh, he went, we knew where he was. He, we knew he was coming from somewhere east of uh, east side of Hollywood, and he wouldn't talk. So we threw him in a police car. Jimmy and I put him in our police car, and we had the clicker, garage door clicker, or gate clicker on his, on his car that he was driving. And we drove up and down every street in Hollywood, from Sunset to Hollywood Boulevard, north every north to south street, up and down, clicking the clicker at every apartment building we came by until finally we found one that opened up. I think it was on Kingsley. 
pretty sure it was on Kingsley. Uh, gate opened up. So we pulled into the parking lot, pulled into the, into the driveway, walked through the gate, went to the manager's office, knocked on the door, <clears throat> asked the manager where this guy lives. The manager pointed him out, told us where he lived. We went back to the station. We set up on the door. Head officer set up on the door of the apartment. Jimmy and I went back to the station. I wrote a search warrant. We rolled back, served the warrant, and got an additional two pounds or a little over two pounds of cocaine from that case in 1995. The guy pled guilty and went to prison. That cocaine was in that property on a shelf in a bag, in an envelope. So when they're accusing me, their internal affairs interviewing me about stealing that cocaine. They, they, wanted, they were all over me. They called me up to return the cocaine. I didn't know what they were talking about. I said, that case is closed. The guy pled guilty. Okay, I'd be. I says, if I were you, I'd be looking at at, a, at one of the property clerks in property division. They're walking by a fat package that's already disposed. It's, it's set to be destroyed, set to be burned. Um, but I didn't know anything about it. But they were following. I was following me. I caught them following me a whole bunch of times. They're by my house. They're fo following me all over the friggin' place. Uh, every time I turn around, I'm getting accused of stealing stealing the drugs. My bosses. I, when I'm doing cases, I, I had this taint over me of stealing cocaine. Nobody could ever prove anything, but I had this taint over me. And then I told, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to maybe Russ. I think maybe Russ. Because I'm frustrated like crazy. And like I said, Russ was a was a friend. I could call Russ up anytime, day or night, and, and vent to him. And he'd, he'd tell me what his case, where his case was, and he'd tell me about stuff, and I could vent to Russ. And um, I was thinking about this cocaine, and I was talking because I, I still go to court every day and pick up pick up drugs. And there was a woman there named Robin Schaefer. I don't know if you ever heard of Robin. Robin is a P. Was a uh, property clerk. Nice lady, nice girl. And Robin uh, Perez, Ray Perez. This is before Raphael became Ray became Raphael. Ray Perez. Thought he was a ladies' man and was playing grab ass with Robin every day. He'd call her up and talk, talk to her and try to, you know, just trying to be a player. So on this particular day, Ray calls just like I did. I'd call up in order to dope the night before. And the next morning, because I, I didn't want to transfer it anyway, I'd order it up. The next morning, I'd drive down to property division to Piper Tech sign it out, take it to court, then I take it back to Hollywood and put it in a lockbox in Hollywood and let the, the night couriers deliver it, take it back to property. So I did the same thing every day, sometime, like I said, about four days a week, multiple cases. And Perez did too. Perez and Mac did the same thing. They'd call up over there, same as me. I'd call up on the phone, and Robin, or I forgot the lady's name, an old black lady with blue hair, a uh, real nice lady, and I talked to them, and I wouldn't have to, I don't have to tell them my name. They knew, recognized my voice. They'd answer the phone, uh, you know, property clerk Schaefer. Hey, Robin, how you doing? What's up? Everything, I need some more dope. Oh, hi, Frank. Yeah, this, that. And she knew my serial number, knew my name, everything. Uh, I said, yeah, here's the case number. Uh, I'll be over in the morning. Okay, it'll be ready. And it, would, it wasn't uncommon for me to use call for my partner, Jimmy, or somebody else in my team. We got court in the morning. I said, yeah, I'm calling for dope. I'll order mine, too. All right, give me the R number. Yeah, I need to order from, for Jimmy, too. All right, she says. She write it down, and away we go. Well, this particular dope, Perez did the same thing. He called up one day, ordered dope delivered to Rampart, 
and play grab ass with her over the phone. So she writes down on a pad of paper his serial number, 26... 269-something. Anyway, I don't remember his number off the top of my head. But she writes the serial number down, puts Perez and writes the serial number down. At the end of, at the end of his conversation playing grab ass with her, he tells her her name is Coronado, Armando Coronado. Armando Coronado was a P2 assigned to game Rampart Crash. And apparently Armando Coronado <clears throat> saw these guys doing something he thought was crooked and went to the watch commander. So they figured they'd kill two birds with one stone. They'd get Coronado, they'd steal my cocaine and sign out to Coronado and get two of us with one, with one steal, one theft. So Robert remembers that, and when she says his name is Coronado, she goes, she thought it was funny, and she goes, well, okay, and she scratches out Perez and writes Coronado down, and writes his serial number down, and checks the dope off to him. The picture here that Liga paints is a simple one. Perez plainly stealing cocaine from an evidence locker. Was this the first time? Was this something that Perez and Mac did all the time? When I hear Greg Caden go on various interview shows and I listen and watch as he discounts the theory that Perez and Mac were involved in Biggie's murder, where my brain goes is the following, which is common sense. If you're brazen enough to steal cocaine from the LAPD, if you're brazen enough to rob banks, why is there any question that these guys were involved in conspiracy to commit murder? Not only were they crazy, according to this story, they were pretty fucking stupid and almost thought they were above the law. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Dossier listeners, I know speaking for myself at times, you need someone to discuss problems, obstacles, or everyday struggles that beat us up. I know we all want to be better humans. With the work I do in true crime, BetterHelp has been a source of guidance, advice, and healthy self-help. Yes, I've used the service. And why not? If you aren't sure whether therapy is something you want to explore, why not give BetterHelp a shot? It's entirely online. You don't have to wait weeks to get a doctor's appointment, which I deal with all the time. You fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp matches you with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Dossier today to get 10% off your first month. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly. So why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work. Up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out. Every once in a while at least. So download Earn in today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. 
When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of Song of Solomon by the legendary Pulitzer Prize winning author, Toni Morrison, a mesmerizing coming of age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead, who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman too will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown, to the place of his family's origins, she introduces an entire cast of strivers and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. Now Internal Affairs is searching all over the place, interviewing everybody. And when they interview that lady, the old black lady, Miss, I forgot her, I can't remember her name. When they interviewed her, she, she told me this. She swore up and down. She goes, Liga doesn't do that. Liga didn't do this. Liga called, does the same thing every day. He calls up in the night before and comes in here every morning and picks it up. He doesn't have cocaine and have drugs delivered to the station. He does the same thing every day. But they didn't want to believe it. Internal Affairs is all over me. I stole it. All, boom, 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 all this stuff here. But when they interviewed Robin, maybe because me telling Russ, when they re-interviewed Robin, she remembered about Perez calling her and she writing Perez's name down and his serial number down, and then him giving Coronado's name, which in fact was the name of the two pounds of cocaine that was taken out of my property. He used uh, Joel Perez for the three kilos. But the two pounds he took, they, they believed that he stole that drug to set me up to get me indicted or in trouble for stealing drugs, which is, he did. It worked pretty well. Um, but that's how that happened. And that went on right through until the robbery, the, the Rampart Task Force started piecing things together. <clears throat> and then I got called in by a guy named Mike Cohan. Mike Cohan was assigned to the Robbery Homicide Task Force, the Rampart Task Force. It was a hidden, it was in the El, the, the bus building, the, the new bus building across from Parker, Parker or, uh, Piper Tech. So Mike Cohan, I think he was a D3, might have been a D2, but he, he calls me up one day and he calls me and says, Hey, uh, Detective Liga, yeah, this is uh, Detective Cohan, I need to interview you. 
I says, for what? I says, all right, no problem. I says, call my lawyer, set it up, set up a date and time, I'll meet you. He goes, no, no, I, I need an interview. You don't need a lawyer. I says, well, what is the problem? He goes, I can't tell you. I says, well, screw you. I ain't coming. I need a lawyer. I'm going to call my lawyer. We'll set it up. He goes, no, really. He said, I just need to clarify some things. You don't need a lawyer. I just want to clarify some things. I says, look, detective, I said, I've been through this a bunch of times now. Now I've been, I've been getting hit pretty hard by everybody. I says, and I know what's going on. I says, I'm, I'm not coming down without my lawyer. I'm not going to talk to you without my lawyer present. And I says, what's it about? I can't tell you. I, I says, is it about my cocaine? Yeah. I said, oh, okay, all right. I, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you. Okay, no problem. I'll, I'll meet you. He goes, okay, can you meet me at Parker, Parker Center in the back? All right. He says, park your car, and I'll, you can get in my car, and I'll drive you. I says, okay. So I meet him over there. I get in his car. We drive over to the, the bus building, drive down the ramp through the iron gates, the security gate underground. We park. We get in the elevator. We go up to what? I don't remember what floor it was on. We go up the elevator. Get off the elevator. I'm walking through all these cops that I, well, some of them I recognize, I know. They're all little, they got their own little desks all up. And I'm walking down the middle aisle between two desks on either side of the aisle. I got officers, detectives that are getting out of their desk, walking up and shaking my hand. Oh, all right, this is cool. They take me in a room, within a room, within a friggin' room. They take me deeper into the building. I go into a room, in a room, and then I go in another room. And then the second room, there was a big conference table, probably six or seven chairs on each side. Big conference table. Sit down. I go, all right. So I sit down. As I'm sitting down, Tyndall, who I'd never met before that day, Tyndall comes in, and he starts closing the door. And as he's closing the door, I look at Hohan, and I look at Tyndall. I says, guys, look, not for nothing, but I've been had too many times. I said, I ain't saying nothing. I says, I'm not talking about my lawyer. I said, this is crazy. You bring me in here, and I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. And Tyndall turns and looks at me as he closes the door. He says, you don't know why you're here, do you? I says, yeah, you're going to break my balls about stealing that cocaine. He goes, no. He says, we're going we're gonna to give you information that we have already. He says, he goes, we're pretty sure we know what happened to your cocaine. I said, oh, okay. And that's what he asked me if I ever heard of uh, Rafael Perez. And I says, no, I, I don't know who Rafael Perez is. I never heard of him. I said, I know a Ray Perez. I said, he works Rampart. He used to work the Westfield Bi team. I said, but uh, Puerto Rican guy. I said, he's more black than Hispanic. But he goes by Ray. Well, how do you know him? I said, I was in a bike team with him. When he worked the Westfield Bi team, I supervised him in the Bi team. He goes, well, who would be his follower? Who follows him around? Who's, who looks up to him? I said, nobody looks up to Ray. I said, Ray's a follower. Ray looks up to... To his buddy David Mack. I says, he goes, well, what do you know about Mack? I said, well, Mack worked the buy team with Perez. I says, and Mack's a bow tie wearing, bean pie selling Muslim. He goes, how do you know that? I said, I seen him on Crenshaw selling bean pies and a bow tie on a Saturday. He goes, well, you think he's guilty? I says, yeah. I said, they're crooks. I said, I don't know if they're, why didn't you do anything about it? Because I never saw them do anything wrong. They go out and buy, buy drugs and come back. They're on, they're wired up. They go out there on a wire and once, then they come back. I says, they, I never see if I caught them doing something wrong. I'd arrest them in a second. No big deal. And so they're talking about that. Then you tell me about uh, Nino Durden. I never heard of Nino Durden until that day. 
And then they tell me that they're up on Ray's phone, Ray Perez's phone, Title Three on his phone at his house, and they were talking about putting a hit on me. And I said, well, that's mildly interesting, but apparently Shug already did. Yes. You heard correctly from Frank. A wiretap on Perez's phone caught him planning a hit on Liga. It came directly from Detective Brian Tyndall, the LAPD. And talking with Frank, it's obvious someone like robbery homicide detective Brian Tyndall is someone we would want to talk to. He could clarify some things. And if Tyndall comes forward to talk about the other crimes that Mac, Gaines, Perez, and Durden participated in, it would paint a clearer picture. So, uh, they says, well, we weren't uncovering that, he says. He goes, uh, then he, that's when they told me that Ray's wife, Mac's wife, and Gaines' wife were all PSR, uh, personal service representatives. They're, they're uh, RTOs. They're the ones that answer the phone and dispatch 911 calls, you know, at one out of 12, one out of 12, see the man. They're the ones that do that. Perez's wife, Mac's wife, and Gaines' wife were all PSRs. So at that point, I'm thinking, okay, I know where my cocaine went, or where my, uh, where my package went. Figure that right out quick. They're filling me in. They said they're up on a Title Three. They're doing this and doing that. And they said, and, and Russ, Russ told me. Russ told me that because it was supposed to be an independent investigation, but Russ told me that uh, every Friday, Dan Schatz, who was promoted to commander to oversee this task force, was had the brief parks every Saturday Friday afternoon on the activities of the week. And Russ said that Parks ordered the task force to basically overlook any of my name, Perez's name, Mac's name, or Gaines's name came up on any investigation. They were to overlook it, to walk by it. That upset me a little bit, too. But, um, like I said, there's nothing else I could do about it. And then, slowly but surely, it came out. Hey, Frank, do you think that Mac and Perez stole the cocaine as a sort of revenge scenario for killing Gaines, or they were just trying to bury you and and the other guy that they didn't like in Rampart? That was a revenge thing for killing Gaines. Uh, otherwise, they would have done it earlier. Why, why not do it earlier? They waited until I was cleared, officially cleared by the DA's office and by the department as OI and the OIS. Two weeks after I was officially cleared, two pounds of cocaine I booked disappeared. And again, to put it in perspective, I didn't blend in the cocaine world in Hollywood. I don't, I speak very little Spanish. I speak Spanish, but very little. I'm a big white guy and I had long hair and a, a big micro mustache. Uh, I did meth primarily. This two pounds of cocaine was the most cocaine I ever seized in Hollywood. In order to get that two pounds of cocaine, what Perez had to do, or Mac, they both had keys to our office. When you're in narcotics division, they give you a key. Everybody gets a key. A key to the narcotic offices. So you can go any the narcotic office in the city and have a key to get into the narcotics offices. Every narcotic office has a log book for the rest of it. It's an arrest book. It's a stat book. It's a great big canvas covered book 
you put the name, the DNR, the uh, guy's booking number, the address, what was seized, all the, all the stats go in that book. So in order for somebody to steal two pounds of cocaine that I never do, I do meth primarily, steal two pounds of cocaine, somebody went into Hollywood field office, FES office, and spent a whole lot of time going through that book because they had to go back over two years. They had to go back from 1998 all the way back to 95 looking for my name as arresting officer where I booked cocaine in. And again, when I was buying cocaine, I was buying an eight ball or an ounce at a time, a couple Raven Dubs, $20 pieces, a $20 rock. You know, nothing spectacular. This case was, was two pounds, which was a, the most I ever did. So they had to go back to that big case book, that log book, and started in 2000 or 1998 and go backwards all the way to 1995 looking for my name where I booked in a large amount of cocaine. It wasn't an easy case. It wasn't something they could just easily do. They had to physically go in there and spend a whole lot of time going through that book. And the doors were never alarmed, no cameras, no radio. We didn't have the cameras and stuff like that then. Nothing spectacular. Um, so that case was clearly set up to set me up because I killed Gaines and got away with it. And that's a fact. That's not my speculation. Russ thought that. The department even thinks that. In the, in the, in the cocaine, uh, theft investigation, then the department, the RHD determined, Tyndall and Hohan determined that that cocaine was stolen in an attempt to set me up in retaliation against killing Gaines. Hey, funny, when you yeah. look back now, what what was what was the point of protecting who it can't it, it would come out later was a cop who was dirty in gains, was working for death row, and the jury's still out that he might have been involved in in other violent incidents. What, why do you think all of these powerful people protected Kevin Gaines? They weren't really protecting Kevin Gaines. That was Chief Parks. It was all Chief Parks. Chief Parks came up in the department, came up in the city, and I'm guessing back in the old days, there was racism on the department. There still is racism on the department. You can't get away from that. That's human nature. But apparently back in when Parks came up, that was pretty prevalent. In fact, uh, I was told that Tom Bradley only could make lieutenant. He couldn't promote any higher because of racism. All I know is that Parks was a proud black man. He signed everything in brown ink. Everything Parks signed was in brown ink to sell solidarity in the black community, the brown community. Uh, and he did not want a black corruption scandal on his watch. And that's what it was. Black gang members infiltrated the police department. And Parks did everything in his power try to prevent that from coming out and being exposed. Uh, it would discredit his tenure as a police chief, which it did anyway. But Parks went on to be a 12-year, I think, I think a 12-year city council member. The white cop shoots a black cop scandal and the shockwaves it sent through the city of Los Angeles is a period of time that defies belief. It creates many conversations on race and policing, 
that honestly is still an issue today. There's no way to avoid it. But the environment and the events that transpired a few years prior to Biggie's death and then a few years after will forever be stamped in the history books to be poked and prodded and unpacked. As of late, with the news of an indictment and trial and the murder of Tupac Shakur, Greg Kading has decided to take another tour of the gutter of the internet to yet again talk about his quote-unquote investigation and the proffer of Keefe D, along with his so-called investigation that transpired a few years after the Liga and Gaines incident. And I keep going back to one question I have, and I don't hear anyone ask him this. Not DJ Vlad, not Bill Courtney in his podcast, or any newscaster. If Poochie Faust killed Biggie, if that is true, why wouldn't the LAPD just come out publicly and put the case to bed, close the case, remove the black eye that stays imprinted on the department to this day? The answer is even the LAPD isn't that stupid or brazen. They just hope it all somehow goes away. Loyal Dossier listeners, this is Don Sikorsky, the creator of the podcast you're listening to. And I've made a decision. The Dossier is ramping up merchandise, exclusive video drops, secret audio files, and other information and access that I just can't put on the podcast RSS feed. So listen up. You can subscribe now at patreon.com forward slash dossier. Go check it out, subscribe, and stay tuned for more exclusive drops and announcements on all things dossier. That's patreon.com forward slash dossier.